Welcome to the Harrington Star FinTech Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Discussions. I want to showcase people across our industry who are advocates for change. I love to celebrate the wins, but we know there is so much more to be done to ensure that change actually happens to build a truly inclusive industry. In these diversity, equity and inclusion discussions, I have a number of series. The Humans of FinTech, The Talent Surgery, The Maternity and Paternity Stories, and the longest running of all, the Women of FinTech podcast series. I do lots of work to drive change campaigns across our industry to increase inclusion within the workplace. So please contact me to see how we can partner together. You can contact me through LinkedIn or on my email, nadia.edwards-dashti at harringtonstar.com. In the meantime, enjoy the show. Welcome to the Women of Fintech podcast series. We are here today to celebrate the wins, raise awareness of the challenges and walk the talk for change across the entire industry. Today, we are joined by Sarah Clark, Head of UK at Clearco. Clearco is a suite of performance financing products and services tailor-made to help founders win. A pay-as-you-grow pioneer and the world's largest um, e-commerce investor, their mission is to remove the barriers between brilliant ideas and brilliant businesses. Sarah is a graduate from Harvard and LSE and has worked for PayPal, Barclay Card and British Airways. She is here today to share her story and all the many learns along the way. Thank you so much for joining us, Sarah. It's great to have you. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. So there's going to be loads that we're going to talk about today, but I think it'd be a great start if you could actually tell us a bit more about what your role entails at Clearco, because head of UK, it seems to be a head of a lot, really. And that it is. I was, in fact, uh, their very first employee outside of North America, um, and I have the scars to prove it. So I was brought on board almost exactly five months ago now uh, to set up and run the on-the-ground operations here in the UK and Ireland. Um, we had, in fact, been servicing founders in the UK for eight or ten months prior to my arrival, but all out of Canada. But for the last five months, we've been building out our operations here. We've now got sales uh, based in Dublin and here in London um, and we're building out the local team to really be able to better address the needs of founders here in the UK. I knew it I knew it would incorporate quite a bit there. Now there's a big mission as part of this which I'd love to explore a bit more and also what personally drew you to Clearco? It'd be great if you could share that with us. Absolutely. You're exactly right. Um, so as you mentioned in the intro, you know, we're here to help founders win. And really, it's about democratizing the access to capital. And we do that through using data. So founders connect up their um, Shopify accounts or PayPal accounts, however they process payments online to our um, data systems, which then run it through an algorithm to enable us to forecast what their future revenues are likely to look like if we are able to extend capital to them. And what we've seen is actually by basing your investment decision purely on data and removing much of the bias, we are able then to fund far more women-led businesses, minority-led businesses, geographically diverse businesses than a typical VC funder. So here in the UK in particular, more than 70% of the investments we've made to date have been outside of London and the Southeast. So we're being able to service those fantastic businesses that are being set up 
across the country. And you don't, it doesn't matter where you went to school, who your neighbor is, do you know someone, blah, blah, blah. It purely is based on the performance of your business. Um, and it's so gratifying for me, unsurprisingly, as a woman and as an immigrant um, in this country, uh, to be able to support those fabulous businesses that are generated by those people who don't necessarily have access to capital in in a normal situation. And also somewhat gratifyingly, I guess, as a woman, this wasn't a pinkwashing exercise. Nobody set out on day one and said, we want to back women businesses and we don't go out and actively promote ourselves necessarily to female founders. It is purely the fact that they have good business ideas that generate good returns. And when they are given access to capital, they're able to grow successfully. And that's, to me, again, as a woman, incredibly gratifying to be part of that story. Um, And that was a great uh, attraction to me, to the business initially. And I'm, I'm really proud to be part of that now. Absolutely. And I love the way that you've explained that, you know, it wasn't a pink washing exercise. Actually, you know, you, you delved into the data and this is the evidence. And I think this is what's so, so key to this type of debate at the moment. Um, a lot of people are wanting to talk about diversity and inclusion for the wrong reasons. It's about being authentic with diversity and inclusion and to understand that actually the more inclusive we are, the more successful we'll be as businesses. And the evidence is, is so paramount within that. Well, exactly. And the other thing I think it points to as well, you know, some of the debates we hear are about how talent doesn't exist. So particularly when they talk about, you know, women in the boardroom or minorities in the boardroom, those kinds of things, you get the commentary that there there isn't sufficient talent in order to fill those roles. And I think given your background, you probably have some interesting insights on that. But to me, as I say, this really demonstrates that actually the, you know, successful female founded businesses do indeed exist. But when you look at traditional VC funding, I think it's less than 1% of total VC funding go to female entrepreneurs. And even, you know, I think it's something like 3% of the pitches that they see are given by women. And then the proportion of those that are actually ultimately funded is again, infinitesimally smaller than it is for male led businesses. Um, And, you know, to me, it just shows that that argument that those are not quality businesses, et cetera, et cetera, just doesn't stack up because actually when you remove that layer of kind of filter of, oh, it's run by a woman, Actually, the business is, is a found, you know, foundationally a great idea and it succeeds. Uh, yeah. <laughs> ta-da! Yeah, ta-da! Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love the way you've explained that. And, you know, I'm such a passionate believer in data and evidence because so many, you know, for so many years I've been saying, well, that, that's just not right. That doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't understand why so many people are telling me that women don't exist in these roles or people from diverse backgrounds don't exist with these skill sets. Um, you know, and, and people talk about, the war on talent, whereas actually I think it's about identifying potential because talent is everywhere. Talent is in abundance if only you know where to look or if only you want to look. And look. I think that's what you're that's what you really stand for, that that showing showing that evidence. So it's not about whether you want to look, here it is. It's right there in front of you. Well, exactly. And you've hit the nail on the head. One of the the phrases that we repeat over and over again at ClearCo is talent exists everywhere, but opportunity doesn't. And we're all about bridging that gap and giving people access to capital in order to really fulfill their potential as entrepreneurs. So yes, we are exactly aligned, I think, in terms of how you think about it. I'm just writing that down. That is a great quote. Talent exists everywhere, but opportunity doesn't. I think that's 
that that's hit the nail on the head. So I think if we look back into your career history, we can see why you are here today. Like I mentioned PayPal, Barclay Card, British Airways. There's a plethora of experience here, but also there's a journey that you've been on to get you to, to be doing what you're doing today. It'd be great to hear a bit more about that. Gosh, um, yes, it's been a somewhat circuitous journey, shall we say. And I, I, I unfortunately have never, I always admired those people who had the, you know, the perfect answer to where do you see yourself in five years time and had, you know, the wonderfully laid out career plan. I'm not sure that I was ever amongst them. I knew that I wanted to um, own a P&L. That was one of always one of my big drivers in my career. But in terms of industry, in terms of geography, I was never terribly clear. <laughs> and so when I came out of business school, I joined British Airways initially in the strategy team. Um, and then I moved out into their distribution team just after 9-11 hit. And we were desperately trying to cut costs in the airline uh, without harming top line revenue. And I had to work out how to distribute tickets and drive sales uh, while reducing those costs, which was, I mean, it was a phenomenal experience, as you might well imagine. I worked with all of our global sales regions and everyone was incredibly motivated because when you talk about a burning platform, we certainly had one at that time. And from there, I moved to Sainsbury's where, again, I initially started out in strategy, but then um, moved out to my first line management role where I actually had to, oh my goodness, manage people, where I was in the direct marketing team. Uh, I was one of those annoying people that sends you offers in the post based on your Nectar card data. Uh, and somewhat scarily, we knew you were pregnant before you did just based on the combination of products you were buying and things like that. Great. Um, but actually, I really enjoyed it because it, it, it played to my inner geek. It's, it, you know, it's entirely data driven. That's my kind of marketing. I'm not so good at telling you what Pantone Blue something should be, but give me a data set and I can work with that. While I was there, I was approached to join Sir Richard Branson's private equity fund. Um, and it's kind of hard to turn down an offer to go and work for Richard. And uh, so I joined the team that was responsible for launching new Virgin businesses. I wrote the first business plan for Virgin Galactic, the space travel business on which Richard just flew two weeks ago. So it was immensely, wow, yes, it was immensely Congrats. gratifying 17 years later. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, talk about making things up, nothing quite like writing a business plan for, you know, a, a category space tourism, not a lot of comparables you can look at there, um, but a phenomenal experience, you know, wonderful to work in such an environment where they really give you as much responsibility as you can handle um, and, uh, you know, an exposure to a variety of different industries and sectors. And I spent the last two years there working on healthcare initiatives for them, which was phenomenal as well. When the crash happened in 2008, um, they kind of scaled back on the number of new investments they were making. And I moved to Barclays at that point, joined Barclay Card as their head of strategy for international, looking after Germany, the Nordics and South Africa which was, again, you know, a great exposure to different markets and, and how consumers behave um, in those markets. And my kind of first foray into financial services from Barclay Card, I moved to the wealth management business where I looked after the UKNI private bank and then ultimately launched a new B2B to C um, proposition targeting pensions and share plan administration which was interesting, shall we say. Um, and I was approached at that point to join PayPal initially as their head of strategy in Luxembourg for the EMEA region. If anyone's thinking about putting Luxembourg on their tourist destination list, 
I wouldn't bother, quite frankly. Um, it is quite, well, it's charming. It is quite possibly the dullest place on the planet. I spent a couple, well, I spent about a year as head of strategy for EMEA. I then uh, moved to San Jose in Silicon Valley to become global head of strategy. It was just at the time that Apple Pay was launching. I actually um, had to present to the eBay Inc. board. PayPal was part of eBay at the time. I had to explain to all of them how payments worked because none of them had payments experience um, and ultimately made the recommendation that PayPal should be spun off in order to be able to compete in the new competitive landscape, uh, which they agreed. And for my sins, I then had to kind of help with the IPO, which was the largest of 2015. So again, phenomenal experience. I came back to Luxembourg to take on uh, the general manager of Central and Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa rolls off the tongue, which was 110 markets from Finland in the north to South Africa in the south, everything to the east of Germany. Um, I lived my life on a plane. I literally traveled four days out of seven every single week, uh, but was phenomenal experience. Again, I inherited a great team based across five offices, each in a different time zone. (laughs) And these were not markets that I had worked in in the past. So they were fantastic in terms of helping me understand what was going on. And I helped to kind of bridge uh, between the global head office and them and and, uh, giving them a bit more uh, clarity around where they should be focusing their efforts. I, however, the traveling did take its toll. I'm not going to lie. And uh, by the end of it, I was uh, quite tired (laughs) and uh, was approached to set up and run the European operations of a US-based subscription commerce company called Loot Crate. Um, I was their very first employee outside of California. um, And uh, so kind of set about doing that. It was a classic startup in that they just raised their Series A about three months before I joined. They burned through all that money and the same amount again, (laughs) and consequently didn't really have the wherewithal to fund a European expansion. So I got to wind down everything that I set up, uh, which again, you know, great experience, you know, emotionally challenging, but a great experience. And after that, I I kind of chose to to spend some time doing some contracting for a couple of years. I was, as I say, kind of a emotionally drained. And I worked with a variety of businesses, everything from biotech through to ed tech and then um, uh, martech, everything. Uh, and then the, the opportunity at ClearCo came up and I, as a proud Canadian, I was thrilled to really help a Canadian company expand into Europe um, and to kind of have that experience again of building a, a team from scratch. Uh, but this time with much better funding. <laughs> so, so here I am. Wow. I mean, that is such a fascinating story. I think what really stands out is you've grabbed every opportunity that's come your way. Or, or actually, it's not really like come your way. You've made it come your way. You've really like, like pushed on every single one. And, and every challenge you've described, you've described it really positively. And, and, and as an opportunity, you've made it an opportunity for yourself and your career, which I think is a really important takeaway for those listening, because often people will look at a particular hurdle um, or challenge in their career, and that's what it is, and that's what that's what they allow it to be. Whereas just then, talking about winding down um, a business, I can only imagine the emotional turmoil that would have would have put put anybody in. I mean, I can imagine myself having to wind something down. I find that very difficult. But the way that you've described it is um, is brilliant to hear because I think it's just great advice for those for those listening. Um, also, you touched upon the amount of travel that you've done. Um, which does take me to my next question, because again, the way that you've described just then the travel, like, yes, it was very 
multitasking. It was very taxing for you. But actually, it opened up lots of opportunities that you, well, you drove those opportunities for yourself. So I'd love to hear a bit more about that as well, please. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think... It's one of those things where I, I am perhaps fortunate. I, I you know, I, I have the ability to pick up and move. You know, I, ha- I did move to Luxembourg. I moved to San Jose. Um, I'm able to travel quite a bit. Um, and I did capitalize on that. Um, and it did mean that certain opportunities were available to me that might not be to someone who is as open to that. And I do think it really did help me to accelerate my career. And particularly, as I say, you know, from the outset, I always wanted to have P&L responsibility, but I really struggled to actually get a full P&L. And when I was finally able to do it, it was because I had that flexibility and I was willing to kind of make some of the sacrifices that come with that. And I'm not going to lie and pretend that it was easy because it was tiring. But it also was for me incredibly enriching, both on a personal level, getting to see all these different places, but also on a professional level, both because it gave me these opportunities, but also because I was I was very surprised running these 110 markets that there were learnings that I could take from Botswana, where e-commerce is very nascent, but actually they had application in Poland or Israel, which is an incredibly sophisticated market. And it was wonderful for me to be able to kind of draw those learnings from very disparate markets um, and be able to bring benefit to the broader business. And that was true, you know, within my region, but also from my region to others, we delivered the highest consumer growth of anywhere um, in the world for PayPal. And we were able to kind of pilot programs that were then picked up in Asia and other parts of the world, which was incredibly gratifying. Um, And to get that kind of learning and insight was phenomenal. But equally, I don't want to downplay the cost that comes with that to a certain extent, um, just in terms of, you know, exhaustion and, you know, the ease of having a social life, uh, particularly, you know, as I say, I was traveling Monday to Thursday every week um, and crossing time zones all the time, um, which makes it hard. Um, And, you know, it's, it, it was a trade-off I was willing to make at that period of time. I, I still enjoy traveling. I miss it, to be perfectly honest, right now. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I, I don't think I would be willing to go back to that level week in, week out um, again, just because it's very, very difficult to sustain and it is hard both physically and mentally to do. But I think to your point of both um, grasping every opportunity that comes your way. And, and I will also quite openly admit my biggest motivator in life is learning. So I'm always keen to learn something new. And that's often the motivation behind taking an opportunity is, oh, I can learn about that. That's cool. Um, and that's part of, as you say, kind of framing some of the challenges and road bumps is, you know, they are difficult. <clears throat> and again, I'm not going to pretend like it's woohoo fun to get to shut down the office that you set up and all this kind of stuff. But by the same token, I think when you're able to take a little bit of a step back and say, actually, there are valuable learnings that I'm getting here, both in terms of how this actually, you know, the mechanics of how this works, but also how to avoid having to do this ever again, Um, which, you know, I will carry with me uh, both in my career and in my personal life as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really important the way that you, um, you've shared that story about the travel, you know, Monday to Thursday traveling like that, that's that's tough for anybody, uh, even someone who's in love with traveling, you know. But but I think you know the way you described it was a trade-off. Um, 
And there is, there is a, the right time in, in somebody's career where that trade-off you want to make. Um, and you will kind of put your, your, your friendships and perhaps your family on hold until the weekend for a number of years as you drive that career focus forward. I, mean, I never did that amount of traveling, but I, I, definitely, I definitely had my own sort of sacrifice trade-off for a number of years, um, which right now I wouldn't ever be able to do that level of hours of working. Productivity, I'm absolutely spot on with, but presenteeism, not so much at the minute for me. But that's just how, that's how it goes over, over different stages in your life, I think. Exactly, yeah. So looking at all of this, this wealth of experience, so many different challenges, hurdles, opportunities, what would you say, um, if you look back at this career to date, what would you say has been your, your biggest lesson that you'd like to share? Oh dear. I think it probably does come back to what you said about kind of grasping opportunities. I, you know, I, I, I'm not, well, maybe, and maybe it's a fault. I'm not very good at saying no, (laughs) 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 but uh, uh, you know, and, and whenever I was given an opportunity, I grasped it with both hands largely because I saw it as a learning opportunity. It wasn't necessarily, oh, I see this as a clear step on the career ladder to here. It's more, oh, this is something I haven't tried before. Let me get that experience. And I, I, you know, I know that will be valuable to me in some way, maybe not directly, but in some way. So I think it does come down to actually having that willingness to, to try something that you're, you've never done before. You're not 100% sure you're going to be great at it. But if you never try, you're never going to be great at it. So it's, it's you know, being willing to take those kinds of risks. Um, and also, I think being upfront about that when you take it on and saying, look, I'm going to need some support on this because I've not done it before. Let's make sure that we're all set up for success. And that's, a, I think, a perfectly acceptable conversation to have when you're taking on a new challenge, but also, you know, don't be held back from taking on that new challenge just because it's something you haven't done before. I think that's really helpful um, because a lot of the time people, you hear people say, take risks, go for it. Well, what does that actually mean? You know, and I think the way that you've described that is, you know, I've written that down. Let's make sure we're all best set up for success these conversations we should all be having more of um, and especially if we if we are saying to women in the workplace who we who we all look at these statistics and we all read the stories that men will apply for something that they know 60% of women need to know 100% if we're saying let's take more risks to uh, females at the beginning middle and and the senior ends of their careers what does that look like actually it looks like a better support structure around them and demanding that support but we can all be part of that support structure, male, female, whatever backgrounds we're from. So I think that's really, really helpful to, to, to say, ask that question. And then my final question to you then, and I always love asking this question to people because I think the more, the more of these answers we get, the more we form a blueprint of how we can make our, our workplaces better. But if you had a call to action to people within the fintech workplace, that would really drive inclusion forward within that workplace, what would it be? I think it comes back to that very point in terms of we can all be part of that support network. I think it's both incumbent on those of us who take on a new challenge to have that conversation and say, you know, let's make sure that we're all set up for success. But if you're a leader and you're asking someone to take something on, you know, you've asked a woman to lean in to use Cheryl's phrase and all those kinds of things. 
it's also, I think, incumbent on you to have that conversation with them and say, you know, this is a stretch assignment. We, you know, how can we make sure that we're giving you the support that you need? Um, and, or, you know, if you're a peer working with that person, how can I help you to succeed? Because when one woman or a minority advances, we all win, I think as well. So I think, you know, that would be the call to action is, you know, if it's you that needs help, make sure you're asking for it. If it's you that's in a position to offer help, be offering it. You know, we all have a part to play here and let's make sure that we do. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's a wonderful way to end this podcast. It's been so brilliant um, learning about your career journey. And there's been so many lessons along the way that you've shared with us. And it's just brilliant to hear not just big phrases, but, but actually what we all can be doing. It's really just clear, actionable change and that's why whenever I introduce these podcasts I say let's walk the talk you definitely are doing that day in day out it's been so brilliant to be able to hear it and so brilliant to share it so thank you for being on the women of fintech podcast series well thank you so much for having me it's been an absolute delight (laughs) 